You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 348. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckman. Sziasztok! Hello! Hey son, hey son! Welcome back to the show, guys. We missed you last week. Oh yeah! Brian says hi. Well, that was interesting. An interesting situation that developed um, <laughs> for, for the yes. last episode. Glad you coped without us. I think um, this show is now getting a life of its own. Even if none of us show up, it will still keep recording every week. Uh, yeah, something <laughs> will happen. Something will happen. Something will happen. Yeah, we're all bots anyway. Or reptiles. Yeah. More on that later. <laughs> yeah. Do we want to tell the listeners what happened? So, so why the situation emerged? Obviously, I was on the go just like all the time. Yeah, we knew that you wouldn't be able to make it, right? Yes, 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 yes. But then, Annika fell ill. Yeah, like I wasn't super, super, super ill, but I was definitely not well enough to sit up and talk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got my fourth COVID shot. Mm-hmm. and uh, Oh, just, okay. Yeah, knocked me out a bit. <laughs> So it wasn't the placebo control. We we mentioned that already last week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was traveling. And even though for two years I managed to avoid getting sick with COVID, this time, now I tested positive yesterday. Oh, can't do that now. Yeah. I have to get well quick now. I know, I know. Yes, I don't have a week <laughs> before I have to appear in Manchester. Yeah, that's right. And it yeah. will be a very special thing because we have, of course, planned this for seven years, this live show that we're going to do in Manchester. So we've timed it. So it is actually the episode 350. So it's kind of a jubilee as well. You can't miss that, Anders. Exactly. Can't miss it. I won't. <laughs> it's so annoying. When I get on the bus with 40-something people. And I do make the announcement that whenever someone feels sick or is coughing, they should be covering their faces with masks, right? Mm. Because Mm. we're sitting on a bus together. That's a very close environment. It's just the best place for a disease to spread. And a couple of people just refuse to follow that advice. By the time that we were coming home from the 11-day tour, seven or eight people we're coughing already. Wow. I thought this pandemic was supposed to be over by now. What? But it isn't. No, I it know. isn't. I know, I know, I know. It's just a milder version. And of course, the flu season is upon us as well. Mm-hmm. So um, that brings me to something that I want to bring everyone's attention to. And that is the flu awareness campaign 2022 of the WHO European region. Mm. Obviously, because of all the experience and all the lessons learned from the COVID pandemic. And we saw that the flu did not really catch on in 2020 and 2021. And that was because of all the precautions made because of COVID. So it's almost like it works, right? (laughs) Yeah, those measures (laughs) worked, but not only for COVID, also for the flu. So now people are being encouraged to, first of all, get vaccinated against the flu. 
then be careful and social distance, especially when they have symptoms appearing, wearing masks, wash their hands frequently. So all the things, all the measures that you took during the COVID pandemic work for the flu as well. So we could easily decrease the number of flu cases for this season, for this flu season, if we're willing to do what's, do it. what has to be done. Yeah. I like that uh, there is a um, very nice video, infographic video, that uh, the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control put together. And uh, obviously, the link will be available on the show notes. Great. Yeah. Let's prevent awesome. the flu from spreading this season. And I also got my flu shot today, so also people shouldn't forget that. <laughs> <laughs> you were not deterred. You got one shot last week good, good. and then another one this week. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, I'm well prepared for international travel now. <laughs> Great. Well done. Yeah. So fuck every person who doesn't think responsibly and cannot realize that their actions can change other people's lives. Yeah. The person, whoever that was who infected me and by the way i didn't just test positive i had symptoms as well hence the voice as well up until this afternoon i felt really shit okay it was just for a day and a half but still and that prevented me from going on my next tour which means a lot of money being lost if i don't travel i don't earn money and if i cannot make it to manchester because of this then I'm going to be very pissed off. I'd, I have no way of knowing how the other people who were affected in the group and infected could come down with it, mostly elderly people. What if they get down with a very serious illness? You can never know that. And all you have to do is if you experience the symptoms, you make the necessary measures and precautions. That's just being a responsible person. Yeah. Fuck everyone who cannot be that person. Yeah, agreed. Yes. <laughs> Something I agree to is also Amadeo Sama. He's a very knowledgeable person. He's pretty much one of the founders and the leader of GiveUP. And he did a very interesting presentation and talk about critical thinking as a tool for living in a complex world. I, I watched it on YouTube. It's on YouTube. And it was very enjoyable and interesting. Great. So I can... I can only recommend the talk. Yeah. It's in, in German, right? It's in German, yeah. Actually, I have to mention here, since you started with uh, agreeing with Amadeo, is that he's one of my favorite people to disagree with. Uh, <laughs> when, because whenever that happens, he's always willing to listen to whatever you have to say. Mm, so right. he's, I think, is a very good skeptic in that regard. Even though he has a certain point of view, he's always willing to listen to the argument. And that is a very nice approach. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. a lot of people could learn from him. Yeah, because it's exactly the thing that skeptics need. We should not ridicule people. We should not put them down because they will just put their heels on the ground and be like, yeah, well, that's what it is. <laughs> But if you yeah. approach them with kindness, then you might actually have a conversation, you know? And who knows? You may learn something because you may not be yeah. right yourself. Exactly. Right. <laughs> now, I love the skeptical community. Uh, I love our listeners, too. So we mm -hmm. got a pronunciation file. Woo! Ooh. Yeah. So we had another one. Good. Yeah. <laughs> you, you were not here last week, guys. But there was a town in the Netherlands that I talked about. It has a name that 
I found impossible to pronounce. So I only called <laughs> it the town after one attempt. But <laughs> listener Rian sent us this file <laughs> to educate us all. And I'm going to play it right now. This is how it, what she says. Hello, ESP. This is Rian van Nierop. The municipality is called Bodegraven Rewijk, but the graveyard itself is in Bodegraven. All right. So that is still hard. I mean, I can probably fake my way through Bodegraven, but the, the last part is still hard. So thank you so much, Rian. We love it when, when our listeners help us out. Uh, Europe is a very diverse region when it comes to languages and there's no way that we can be experts on all of them and it's a good way to be in touch with our listeners <laughs> yeah yeah uh, diversity is something that's very important to me too like not only in our listenership not only in the eu but also in germany in books in representations uh in eigen books and in, in movies And I really love watching this movie that got a lot of flack recently because the author, J.K. Rowling, turned into a bit of a hateful person. But I don't want to talk more about that. What I want to say is a very important actor and also ally of the LGBTQ movement, Robbie Coltrane died. Oh, Hagrid. Mm, yeah, yeah, Hagrid. Oh, that's too bad. And he, he was he was not the oldest, gotta say. Like I was actually surprised to hear that because he died aged seventy two. Yeah, that's not yeah. Wow. He was the age of my parents. Yeah. yeah. It's not old. Yeah, no, that's too mm. early. So we we we'll miss him. We miss Hagrid. There's no Hogwarts without Hagrid. <laughs> yeah, but you know you know that I found it surprising. I didn't remember that he played in both Goldeneye and The World Is Not Enough. Oh. Did you know that? No. James Bond? He played a Russian crime boss in both of, the, of those movies. <laughs> There you go. No, I, I was not aware of that. But he's the kind of guy that you... When I saw him in Harry Potter, I recognized the face immediately. I said, oh, that's that guy. To be honest, I didn't know yeah. his name, but that's that guy. Because you've seen him in, in so many other roles, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a move, a series uh, where he played a detective. Mm -hmm. It was running in the um, 1990s in, in Cracker. I think it was a BBC series, probably. Which brings us to the next part of the show, which is usually we call the first part, but it's not really because uh, we have an intro every time. <laughs> uh, so this week in Skeptical History, Trish. And why I started out by uh, mentioning that the BBC or the Beeb brings us to Twish this week is because I would like to dedicate this segment on this episode to the BBC or the British Broadcasting Corporation, which was founded a hundred years ago on the 18th of October 1922. Wow. Wow. So, congratulations, happy birthday, Beeb, auntie. I don't know where the, the nickname auntie comes from, because the uh, Beeb is understandable, but the, the auntie? But I do know for a fact that some British people call it the auntie. Originally, it was founded as the British Broadcasting Company, and after a couple of years, it was renamed the British Broadcasting Corporation. And it's the largest broadcaster in the world when it comes to the number of staff and the number of different shows that they produce. 
they cover topics from weather, sport. They have a lot of comedy shows. I love the BBC's comedy shows, by the way, and talk shows. But they have regional shows as well, not only for the United Kingdom, but also for the rest of the world. They have Iranian and other outside of the UK and outside of Europe kind of uh, uh, shows. They produce content in more than 40 languages. And they have the BBC World Service, which is accessible and used on a weekly basis by more than 500 million people in the world. This is absolutely amazing. But why it is worth mentioning in a segment that covers the history of skepticism is because the BBC has been, from the get-go, from the beginning, the target of a lot of criticism when it came to how they approached certain topics. Because they wanted to be, and that is in the DNA of the BBC, uh, they want to be impartial from a political point of view and from every other point of view. So this is what skeptics usually call a false balance as well that mm. that often develops when it comes to scientific topics. The discussion of certain therapies like alternative therapies, alternative medicinal treatments and stuff, they try to show both sides of the fence, so to speak. But from a scientific point of view, that is absolutely wrong. They should not get equal coverage and equal amount of time because there is a false balance there. Yeah, both sides are not equally valid. Exactly. And that is often overlooked by BBC editors. This is why they do deserve the criticism in many cases. And I'm pretty sure that some of our listeners will just, um, I don't know, will be very angry that we even mentioned the BBC here, because I know that many, many skeptics do hate the BBC. But I have to say that uh, the BBC is like democracy. It doesn't work perfectly, but it's still the best system that we could come up with. So the BBC and the basic principle of impartiality is what a public service, let it be television, radio or online services, has to offer. This is real public service, what the BBC does. And this is one of the things, one of the reasons why the current government and the previous governments led by the Tories has been criticizing it for, because they don't shy away from criticizing the government. And if there is a government that makes so many mistakes and everything they do is basically stupid, it doesn't matter which side they are on of the political fence. But still, if there are stupid things they do and they are being criticized for it, then they should just be held to scrutiny. This is what the current government and the previous ones don't really like, but it, it doesn't only refer to Tory governments, actually. However, Margaret Thatcher, for example, she hated the BBC, but at the same time, she realized that it's a real asset and it's an important thing to have in the public life of the United Kingdom. This is what has been lost. And a lot of money has been lost as well, because uh, there are a couple of funding issues brought about by the Tory government, because the funding structure is different as well. So it's not 
directly controlled by the government because the money that is used to fund it comes from the TV licenses that has to be paid by every household who has a TV set and uses the services of the BBC. It's a very good structure that they came up with after the First World War and they wanted to end propaganda and that's why they wanted this kind of principle of impartiality and that the public's needs for proper information is in the focus. And it hasn't been lost, but somewhere along the way, there have been a couple of mistakes made. So I encourage everyone to appreciate the BBC for what it is and criticize the occasional action that is misled by this principle. But don't hate the BBC. The BBC is a great public service and um, it's appreciated all over the world. I know for a fact, I know that, for example, the nature documentaries that the BBC has produced, they sold it to many, many countries across the world. And I know that I was brought up watching those documentaries and those changed my life and definitely the way I think about the world and nature and everything. Not to talk about the main character that most of these documentaries featured, Sir David Attenborough, who has dedicated his life to the public service exclusively working for the BBC. So, um, yeah, mistakes can be made, but that doesn't mean that the BBC is not worth keeping up. And, uh, well, in Hungary, living in Hungary, (laughs) I can only dream of a public (laughs) service like that. So especially in the age of misinformation and deliberately spread misinformation, we also know as disinformation. Yeah, that kind of attitude, that kind of approach to informing the public is very rare and very important. So happy 100th birthday, BBC. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah. So not quite 100 yet, but there is a Pope that uh, Pontus usually <laughs> pokes. He's not a hundred. So either. I want. No, Pontus is getting there, but. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. So, my friend, have you got something to poke the Pope for this no, week? No, I will not poke him this week. Uh, there is a f- few things he's doing to uh, cement his legacy, sort of, but it's a little bit boring. It can wait. All right, but that means that we're moving on to the news. Okay, so we talk a lot about how uh, social media can be used to spread information, disinformation, dangerous nonsense. And we've talked about that a lot because it's true. But I have here an example of, on the contrary. So Ooh. naturally at the moment, and you've all heard of this through the news, there's a lot of people wanting to leave Russia at the moment. They're afraid. I don't know why. Well, there could be many reasons. One reason is, of course, that you don't want to be drafted into this stupid war of Putin's. Uh, But it's not that easy to do it, I guess. And uh, it's hard to get good advice. It's not like you can ask, how do I get out of this country? But there is an online resource called relocation.guide that was started already in February by 10 people at the time who wanted to find and share information about how to get out of Russia <laughs> and how to be avoid being dragged into the war. Now it has grown to be a 3,000 plus page resource with over 50 chat channels on the encrypted messaging application mm. Telegram. 
So uh, it has drawn millions of page views monthly, its founder said, and it counts more than 200,000 members. And they can use it to orchestrate every detail of their escape from Russia, according to the founder. She is called Irina Lobanovskaya, and she and her colleagues have taken advantage of the fact that Telegram has remained online. We know that Facebook and I don't know if Twitter is still on. I think Twitter is also blocked in Russia. We should check that. But a lot of the other social media have been blocked or severely limited by Russia. Telegram is still on and it's becoming a central way for people to access and share information in Russia. Lobanovskaya said that the guide evades Russian censorship because it's hosted on an online platform that hasn't yet been blocked. And what she's talking about is something that I didn't know of uh, because I live in a free country and I don't need to use <laughs> all of these things. <laughs> but it's called Notion.so. And I'm sure that can be used by anyone. You don't have to be in an oppressed country to have an advantage of using that. But what it is, I'm told, is a free workspace where you can share wikis and documents and other information with, with, within a community. So uh, there you go. The internet can be a good thing. Yes. If you use it wisely. Mm. Do you want to hear about a nutcase? Always. Yeah, I think we talked about this before, that mm -hmm. people wanted to abduct Health Minister Karl Lauterbach. Believe it or not, it wasn't homeopaths. No. Although he's an enemy of homeopathy. I'm sure there are a few homeopaths that have considered yes. the idea. Huh? Yeah, I think so too. But yeah, what actually <laughs> happened is that there, there were people that were actually very serious about abducting him. Like they, they wanted to abduct him as an initializer to stop the government and to overthrow the government. Wow. Yeah. One of the leaders of the group got arrested She was, as they called, the administrator. So there was like a military wing and an administrative wing of this group. And she was pretty much the, the leader of the administrative uh, wing. Mm -hmm. What they wanted to do is abduct Karl Lauterbach and then also start a blackout, which means completely stop electricity in Germany. Killing bodyguards, they also said. Wow. But what you can also see is that she was, as I said in the beginning, she was a bit of a nutcase. She published several pamphlets in the internet. She also tried to take the whole government to court in 2020. Oh. And what you could find in her texts were a lot of conspiracy theories, a lot of anti-Semitic things and also Reichsbürger stuff. And Reichsbürger is like this group, we also probably talked about them before. It's oh. this group that believe that Germany is not uh, an autonomous state, but a satellite state of the US because apparently the war never ended. Right. Um, according to those uh, why is it called Reisberger? is it is it like because they think we're so still in the, in it, the it Reich it brings to mind some kind of a food ah Reich yeah so it's not ra Rice um, okay they're not Rice no Reich <laughs> yeah. okay because I was thinking about a burger with rice and <laughs> rice burger <laughs> 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 the rice burger didn't ideology make didn't make sense <laughs> <laughs> yeah but this person uh, she's definitely not a rice burger but a Reichsbürger ideologist and she's really really 
serious in that regard. They also already arrested four other people. And of course, they're taking everyone to court now. But of, as we know, legal proceedings always take time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that just shows us again how dangerous conspiracy theories can be. And why do they want to stop electricity? I mean, it can happen anyway without... <laughs> yeah. Putin makes sure that is happening. Yeah. No, Putin but they want to. On it too. They want to destabilize everything. Like mm -hmm. they want to. Okay. Uh, they said oh. they want to lead Germany into like a civil war kind of state, so that they can have basis democracy and not our democracy anymore. Oh. Yeah. What what is basis democracy? What's that? Oh, sorry. This probably was a German term. Yeah. <laughs> Grassroots. Is it is it the kind of democracy where actually the people do have? the say and it's not like a, a representative yeah. the english the, the english the term is grassroots kind of democracy, democracy or people power okay so everybody oh, votes yeah. on every single issue yeah. you don't have representatives doing that it's a bit like you. switzerland but even worse <laughs> worse than switzerland Come on. <laughs> i'm not saying that switzerland is worse i'm saying that the democracy <laughs> in switzerland might be a bit complex for my german brain <laughs> yeah all right okay that's only saying that my okay. german brain is not complex <laughs> so if we have any swiss listeners please send us, an, us an audio file with a very short explanation of grassroots democracy <laughs> all right okay. so while we're talking about politics buckle in for another edition of pontus pokes the politicians Woo! <laughs> because i okay. have to talk about what's happening in sweden at the moment on monday aye, aye, aye. the new swedish government was approved by the swedish parliament now, we have a very strange parliamentary situation at the moment. I'm sure there will be books written about it in the future. All of this was, of course, expected after the election in September, but now it's here. So what we have is a right-wing government with three parties in formal power. It's the Moderates, which is the former right-wing party, the Christian Democrats, which is self-explanatory, and the Liberal Party as well. Those three together is still a minority government ruling at the mercy of the Sweden Democrats, or SD, if we call it that. SD is larger than each of the other parties in power. So in the press, there are now four party leaders in the pictures looking like equals, smiling, shaking hands, and they have all agreed and are getting along swimmingly. SD, however, do not get any ministerial posts in this new government. That would be a step too far, even for, for the moderates, because, I mean, SD, come on. In the 90s, they stemmed out of a neo-Nazi party. That, that is, Yikes. you can't get away from that. Every week, every week, there are something going on with some uh, or other SD politician saying something that's, uh, oops, did I say the quiet part out loud? So... They will not get any ministers, so thanks very much for that. But they will have an official council of political servants, just like the other three parties. And all potential disagreements between the four parties will be negotiated between these councils. So four parties having one council each, and they will meet to iron out their differences. So even though SD doesn't have a minister, they're still part of the gang, if, I, if you will. They've issued a written agreement that is public, and the phrase in that agreement is, quote, full and equal influence between the cooperating parties, end quote. And the cooperating parties are the four parties. It's not just the three in power. So 
The government now depends on SD in all votes to get anything done, because SD can at any time just pull their support and then the government falls. So there's been a month of negotiations. There's a list of areas now also made public where the parties have agreed to support each other. I won't go through all of them because that will be too long. Uh, But I can say that the three quote-unquote normal parties, they have completely surrendered the immigration area to the Sweden Democrats. And honestly, that's the only thing that the Sweden Democrats care about. They are a one-issue party. They only want to get rid of everything that is foreign, everyone that is foreign, that they decide is foreign and that they decide are not true or Swedish enough for them. So if you look at the immigration initiatives that this new government will take, we have the following highlights. There will be a proposal to abolish the permanent residence permit system, and that um, proposal should be ready by 2024. They will investigate the withdrawal of residence permit in several cases, including for those who no longer, quote, meet the requirement for the permit, end quote, which sounds alarmingly arbitrary. They can just decide, no, you no longer meet the requirement, so off you go. There are several proposals to, quote, raise awareness of the possibility of return, end quote. So they want to send people home, basically. There will be stricter requirements to get a Swedish citizenship. They will investigate requirements such as self-sufficiency and knowledge requirements for those who seek citizenship. So if you come here as a refugee and you don't have enough means to support yourself, you may be uh, sent home. The right of family reunification should not be higher than the minimum level set at the EU level. So as little as possible reuniting children with their parents, not if we can help it. They will also deport people of, quote, bad character, end quote. And of course, they mention things like extremist organizations, criminal activities, and I can sort of get a... I can understand that. They also have prostitution as one criteria. And one should remember that prostitution in Sweden is... That's a whole other episode we can talk about that but prostitution in sweden is not illegal for the sex worker selling the service it is illegal to buy but not to sell which i think i don't know exactly how well that works but i think as a theoretical principle it, it, I, I like the idea don't blame the sex worker blame the people buying the sex because those are the bad guys so if you come here as a refugee and the only way you see to survive is to sell yourself, then you can be sent back because then you're a prostitute, which is not illegal in Sweden. So very, very questionable. There are more. I will not bore you with all of this, but it all makes my blood boil. And it's all thinly covered excuses for sending people back because that's the only thing that they care about. Then it's not just immigration policies. It's also a total lack of scientific understanding from several of these many new members of parliament at, uh, that have from SD who are now there. We have uh, criminal experts. They have totally shot down the planned actions against crime as disastrous, really. some At least some people have called it disastrous. Climate change is also a hot topic, pun intended. <laughs> this... <laughs> This is what one newly elected SD member of parliament said just a few days ago. Her name is Elsa Widing and she said, quote, 
The idea that we are in a climate crisis is, in my view, not scientifically supported. The last time this happened was in the 1960s, when the summers failed and or were so short that there was no time to harvest, end quote. Hmm? Has she ever gone <laughs> to school? Does she know anything about the world? She did, however, acknowledge that it is getting a little bit warmer, but she said, quote, But the cold weather is also getting less cold, which means that significantly fewer people are currently freezing to death overall, if you can talk in those terms. That's a positive thing that has happened, end quote. Ooh. So global warming is good because less people will be freezing to death. Um, this is a person elected yeah. to sit in the Swedish parliament. I get nightmares. I get nightmares. Uh, then I want to mention also the other part just a little bit. Um, the new prime minister, his name is Ulf Kristersson, he's a moderate. He claimed that Sweden in the 1970s became, quote, one of the first almost completely fossil free industrial nations, end quote. What? Hmm? When did that happen? Sweden doesn't have any fossil fuel. Uh, and then I've saved the best for last. We have uh, the leader of the liberals. I, I must mention the liberal party as well, because they've had a tough time with all of this. Because they are, <laughs> they are pro-immigration. Historically, they have always been very open, very positive to people coming here. So that they have bought into this whole SD thing is a big thing for many liberals and... Um, the leader for the Liberal Party, Johan Persson is his name, has come under a lot of fire for this. So to defend himself, he had this to say, and I swear to you that this is an accurate translation. So strap in. Quote, it has never been the case in any other party. I can give you some examples. So first of all, let's pa pause there. If there's never been the case in any party, how can he give you examples? Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll start over. Maybe I'm... Let, let's see what he has to say. I'll start over. It has never been the case in any other party. I can give you some examples that what is in a party document, party program or policy document in any other way, in any way, can never, so to speak, it can end up in a compromised situation, end quote. Was it uttered by one Donald Trump? <laughs> I, I have no idea what he um, wants to say, except that he had to compromise. Yeah. But it is, if you can't formulate yourself better than that, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't be the leader of a party who is in the government. So, um, yeah, anyway, and there are more. I, I, I don't want to spend the whole episode talking about this because there's more to say about public service that you talked about before, Andras. I'm very worried about that. I'm also worried about the abortion question, but I'll I'll save it because we need to have other we have other news that we need to get through. Actually I do think I have good news for you. Ooh. In that regard, I because apparently consistency is key. That is basically the conclusion of a study that was done in Sweden. Ooh. Ooh. The study was done to find out a couple of things about media use and trust during the COVID-19 pandemic. So they wanted to know what kind of news sources people used and how much they trusted the different stakeholder groups that were commenting in the media. The stakeholders were politicians, journalists, government officials, doctors, or healthcare professionals and researchers. 
And obviously, the researchers had to try and assess the perceived messages. So how people perceived the message and how clearly they understood what the message had to say and how much they trusted the stakeholders as a result. So they used questionnaires and um, they got 8,146 responses. And that was at the beginning of um, the pandemic situation because the survey was conducted between March and August 2020. Now, the results show a very interesting thing. It's not very counterintuitive, actually, but it's nice to see actual results showing that that first of all, trust was very strong, uh, stronger in women and those with a higher education level. So mm -hmm. they tended to trust the stakeholders more. People with, with a lower educational level and being male, that was an indicator of having less trust towards the stakeholders. But one thing that was very consistent was that consistency was the key. So no matter what the message was, trust towards the stakeholders was much higher when the different stakeholders did agree with each other. So when they were on the same message, but when conflicting messages were sent, then they became associated with a, with a lower trust level. Hmm. So we have to understand the background as well that the researchers do uh, as well in the introduction that trust in science and trust in medical science is generally very high the Swedish public and uh, it's very generally very high in politicians as well. So why I started out by saying that it's there there might be hope is that as long as they contradict each other in the government coalition <laughs> they might be able to lose the trust of the public uh, however there could be a worse thing developing as a result because this could lead to a general distrust in politicians as well mm. and unfortunately i'm speaking from experience because this has happened in Hungary. So now a lot of people have lost trust in all politicians, no matter what they say, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, they have lost all trust in them. It's just there is no politician they would be willing to trust anymore. Mm. I hope that it's not going to be the case in, in Sweden, but it looks like the results of this research show that trust building has to start with well, harmonizing the messages and get the message right. So the easier way, easiest way to get the message right is if the message is about facts and it's not just empty propaganda, but uh, something that can be traced back to research and can be substantiated with evidence. Yeah. <laughs> I talked about homeopaths before, jokingly and seriously. <laughs> And they were also pretty busy in handling the COVID situation, or not. <laughs> but I recently read a text by our well-known Edzard Ernst. It was one that was published in Welt, which is a pretty well-known uh, German newspaper. And he just pretty much like used all the positive arguments that are used by homeopaths and their believers to say like why they're using it. And I'll just give you three examples, or maybe maybe only two. For example, it helped me. 
And, well, that's usually placebo. <laughs> or that you very often go to a homeopath with not that serious sicknesses that you just heal yourself. Or, well, it's not harmful. Yeah, the thing is, like, the medication itself might not be harmful because just not any full. <laughs> There's nothing in there. <laughs> <laughs> but the homeopath himself can be a risk because a lot of them are anti-vax. A lot of them say, like, you should take the sugar pills instead of having radiation for your cancer. Mm. Also something like, oh, it's working with babies and with animals. That's something called placebo by proxy. <laughs> And so on and so on. Like they, he used he used all of the arguments. Homeopathy can save money. Homeopathy is not expensive. Blah 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 blah. And yes, they're all tackled by Edzard Ernst. And yeah, as, as, as I think, uh, very brilliantly done. He took all of the wind out of the sails of these arguments. Well, that's good. It's good to have that to go to if you want to argue with a homeopath sometime mm -hmm. or a believer. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. I actually do enjoy argue, arguing with uh, homeopaths <laughs> occasionally. And I've developed a very nice uh, kind of uh, debate style as well. So my last last experience with uh, debating homeopaths on TV was that they came up to me at the end and they said, whoa, I wish I wish every uh, skeptic would debate us like like this. I I would enjoy it much more. <laughs> and um, I think I managed to get the message through without offending the people themselves mm. so that's 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 the most important thing you don't attack the people you attack and you don't necessarily attack you can just ask questions mm. you can just uh, be on the positive side for science mm -hmm. well but sometimes the message doesn't get through so that's <laughs> that's a very important problem. And uh, there is a survey that was done for the first time in 2019 by Gallup. And uh, it was a Gallup World Risk Poll. That was the title of it. And in 2019, they surveyed about 140-something thousand people. But this time, in uh, 2021... But it came out just recently. But the 2021 survey involved 125,000 interviews in 121 countries. So that was quite a global reach that uh, they aimed at. And they tried to assess a couple of things with regards to how people assess the level of risk about different topics, like uh, safety, uh, safety being their own personal safety and the safety of their families and uh, their societies. COVID-19 risks, how they were perceived, that was surveyed as well. And uh, whether policymakers tend to focus on the, on the risks that are greatest to people in general. And, which is probably the most interesting from our point of view, is how climate change-related risks have been perceived by people across the globe. And this latter one is a little bit of a cause for concern, I think, because it turns out that not too many people think, uh, even though we we have been talking a lot about climate change recently, not by, by we, I mean humanity, and policymakers as well, but apparently... 
this is not very high on the list of priorities for a lot of people across the globe. So the concern about climate change has definitely shrunk in the last two years. While we know for a fact that the problem is still there and the problem is urgent and it becomes more and more urgent. So it seems like the number of people who think that climate change is a very serious threat to humanity or their local people or their local communities is about 48.7% in 2021 globally. So less than half of the people think that it's a serious threat. We do know for a fact, based on this, that the message has not gone through. We need to do something to send a message across because it's definitely an issue. In Northern America, severe weather is very much of a concern, but that's not definitely linked to the climate change and that it poses a threat all across the globe. So it's a very interesting kind of approach. And there are places like Northern Africa and Asia where the situation is very, very bad with droughts, with severe weather events and all that kind of shit. In those areas, in 2021, 33 to 46% of the people did not view climate change as a threat at all. That's surprising. I that mean, is, if, you're, if you're a victim of things like that, you... Well, but, in Africa. But maybe it, it In Northern Africa. Not, yeah. But maybe it, if it's not communicated, if it's not taught, if it's not... If people are not educated, maybe they don't know that that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and the, 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 the most concerning part of this is that there has been an increase in the number of people who don't mm. see that as a threat. It could be because of uh, the education, as you say that they don't make the connection. They think that the most important thing that they need to worry about is their economic situation, but they don't see that their economic situation is directly linked to climate change and the worsening of their situation. In Eastern Europe, for example, there has not been a change in the number of people who think like that. And uh, in Northern and Western Europe, there has been a slight decrease of the number of people who don't see climate change as a threat. And the percentage of those who have seen it as a very serious threat increased with secondary education and post-secondary education as well, which is not surprising. The higher educated you are, the more likely you see it as a threat. That is just just normal, I think. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, let's swing back to Russia. I talked a little bit about Russia in the beginning of this segment. And there's another aspect of this there. And it's very local here to Sweden, but I think it is a trend, something that probably applies to a lot of other places as well. The local chamber of commerce here in South Sweden has been bombarded by fake Russian emails. So, yeah. And this happened more after the sabotage against the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines. And these emails seem to be coming or are claiming to come from smaller member companies of the Chamber of Commerce. And they are demanding that trading with Russia must continue or they will be in big trouble from an economical point of view. 
and they are asking the Chamber of Commerce to lobby the, the Swedish government to re-establish business with, with Russia. But they are all fake, and uh, the emails are so badly written that they are easy to identify as fake, says the head of the Chamber of Commerce. So uh, Russia is trying to fight the information war on many, many different levels here. And in this case, the Chamber of Commerce is not buying it. But in other cases, they may. And I also want to say that's, that's it's called the toupee fallacy, Andras. If you say, I can easily spot all the fake emails that I get. Oh. All toupees look fake. I have never seen one that I couldn't tell was a fake. That, that's, that's, oh, yeah. that's, that's what he's saying, right? <laughs> Or I can recognize, yeah. or I've never received a fake email that I couldn't see through. Well, maybe the yeah, ones that you didn't see course. through also were fake. <laughs> hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Be on your toes, as always, when you receive strange emails. Uh, it could be Russia, or it could be some other nut job that is trying to fool you. But it's interesting to see that Russia is doing everything on small level and big level they are fighting and they are also sending out all of these emails to try to fool people okay and that brings us to the end of the new segment but we need to find out who's been really wrong lately apart from all the people that we've mentioned in the news (laughs) (laughs) yes i want to talk about another nutcase and i don't i really don't want to sound ableist because of course there are people that are sick but this person yeah people are are actually worried that he's one of them that he's not completely using all of his um common sense basically now what happened is that politician a dutch politician thierry baudet i pronounce him french but i don't have no idea how he's pronounced maybe maybe thierry baudet i have no idea Hmm. Send us your emails. Rian, you know what to do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in, in an interview, he said, it's weird that I'm the only one who's saying this. And then he says, Putin is a hero and he, has, he must win. Quote, unquote, of course. What? Because in his opinion, the world is governed by reptiles. Oh, of course we are. Of course. We, we all know that. We all know, <laughs> yes. And apparently Putin would be the only one who's, who's tackling that. And according to him, Ukraine is the biggest state of the reptiles. And that's why Putin, as the Dark Knight, as he calls him, is tackling that. And that's following a theory, quote-unquote theory, by British Holocaust denier David Icke. So he's, oh, he's following yeah, that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thing is, he is a politician. He has been voted into parliament. So, wow. Yeah, people are actually worried now. They say, like, he probably needs therapy. He's pro completely delusional that he loves Putin, that he really thinks that we are governed by reptiles. And yeah, for talking about things like that with the responsibility you have as a politician, as an elected representative. Thierry Baudet, or however he is pronounced, uh, receives this week's prize for being really wrong. Yeah, that's really scary when when you hear that from from public officials. Exactly. But, uh, you know, I don't care if he loves Putin, but I would give him a really wrong just for calling Putin the Dark Knight. Yes. That is outrageous. The Dark Knight can only be one person... 
and that is Bruce Wayne and Batman. <laughs> We're it's... talking Batman now. Okay, so let's stay on the right side of fantasy here, <laughs> Yeah, but and... it can it can should really only be a fictional hero and not a very non-fictional war criminal. Yes. How I don't understand this. How can you honestly believe that the world is run by reptiles? <laughs> that that that's so crazy. I, I I don't know what's wrong with people. Well, that's why people are actually like genuinely worried about him, you know? Yeah. 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 All right. Thank you very much for that. And all that's left for us is listen to a quote before we finish this episode. Yeah, and this week's quote comes from... Because we talked about a lot of uh, heroes and villains this episode. Yeah. This quote comes from one of my personal heroes, scientist, biologist Jane Goodall. Born mm-hmm. on the 3rd of April, 1934, in London, still alive. <laughs> and she said, Here we are, arguably the most intelligent being that's ever walked planet Earth with this extraordinary brain, yet we're destroying the only home we have. Yeah. Cheerful quote, just very for you guys. Very cheerful, but very true. <laughs> yes. Very true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very nice note to finish on. <laughs> But we have to finish on this, and this uh, brings us to the end of the show. Thank you very much, Annika and Pontus, for today's show. Thank you. Thank you for coming back, guys. We always will, <laughs> as long as we let each other. <laughs> yeah, we didn't mean to leave you alone. No. <laughs> I wasn't alone. I had Brian. Brian, we really appreciated it. We love you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Brian's always there to the rescue so uh yeah thanks brian for last week and uh, we'll meet again (laughs) very very soon yeah but until then i wanted to thank our listeners as well for tuning in please keep doing so and until next week goodbye tschüss hello bis slapped This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast.eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. Yeah. Because because it's because it's a sec- oh, fuck, sorry. Uh <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs> now I have it on repeat. Stop. <laughs> Are you done? Okay, good. You know what cementing your legacy is? You 
starting a fingerprint. war. Fingerprint. Oh, no, 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 no. Your 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 prints on the the Walk of Fame. That's cementing, the, the yeah. Holly, <laughs> Hollywood Walk of Fame. Hollywood. I don't think uh, Frankie will make it to that, but uh, he may have a, his own okay. uh, Walk of Fame in the Vatican, maybe. <laughs> Chat channels. That's hard to say. Chat channels. Just a channels. <laughs> with Chat over channels. <laughs> with over fifty. But my question is. No, no, no. <laughs> 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 Nothing. Uh, actually, actually, 